Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Uh, it's uh, good to be here. It's uh, we, we Probably a little over a year and a half ago, we were here on a Sunday morning, and normally when we come in, we are here on a Wednesday, so it's been a while good while for Sunday morning, but it always, we got to know a lot of you, and it kind of feels like home in a lot of ways, and we're just, we're blessed to hear about all the good things that's happening in your church. Um, I was, i just tell you a little kind of an amusing story. I've been teaching on, uh, I'm not going to preach, by the way. <laughs> Sandy's going to, anyway, just so you know. Anyway, I've been preaching on or teaching on uh, Sunday nights on, you know, do not be conformed to the world, right? But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And what's interesting, Paul's not talking to sinners. He's talking to us. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so I was emphatically telling uh, the, the church, I've said, that means do not be conformed to the world. Well, that means stop right now being conformed to the world. And I got a little bit, kind of like I am now, but a little worse, emphatic about that. <laughs> and one of the ladies said, I, all right, I am right now. <laughs> <laughs> but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And we have to renew ourselves in a lot of different areas. And we were talking with some people, we were talking about repentance. And when I was a kid, repentance is what got my attention. And that's why I got saved. But I'm still repenting, and I'm older. I don't say I'm old. I just say I'm older. And because repentance is just quit going this way and doing it like this, turning around and having a change of heart. And we're, we, as we grow in the Lord, Jesus in the garden, he prayed for the disciples to be sanctified, set apart for holy use, but to change. If you're going to be set apart, you know that gold and silver that they used in temple worship, that was neat, but it didn't mean a thing until it was formed into something by a craftsman, and then it was a bowl or a utensil for worship in the temple. Well, that's who we are. We're, we're gold, but we got to be conformed, changed into something, and that's an ongoing, continual process that we are. we have to have repentance. We have to keep changing in areas. It always amazed me. I don't know if you had this question, but Jesus said what? Go ye into all the world, all the world, and preach the gospel. And I could never understand how these disciples who was with Jesus for three years stayed in Jerusalem. Do you ever think about that? What are they doing there? Of course, that's easy for me to say looking back, but what, what are they doing there in Jerusalem all these years? So now we have Peter up on a rooftop praying. Thank God that Peter was a dedicated person in prayer. But he's up on that rooftop and he's praying, isn't he? I don't, I'm not going to preach, so I don't want to get into all this story. <laughs> he's up there praying, and God comes to him in a vision. And, and, what he, and he says, and then all of a sudden people come from Cornelius' house, a Gentile, and Peter finally got the message. <laughs> he was transformed by the renewing of his mind. 
by the Holy Ghost. Do you understand what I'm saying? He had to change because God was reaching out. God loved the whole world. He didn't come just for the Jewish population. For God so loved the world. And he, Jesus told him, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And so here he is. He went through all the great and mighty things. He's the man who stood up at Pentecost and preached and, and people got saved. But yet he still needed transformed by the renewing of his mind. I still need transformed by the renewing of my mind. I still need to repent and turn, have a different attitude about things as they come along. And we face new circumstances all the time. Anyway, that's um, that just burns on your heart, so you have to share a little bit. But anyway, my wife, Sandy, um, she, we're taught a lot of things happen here. God's ministered already. I mean, a lot of word went out, but... Um, she um, she had um, she was ordained under a Pentecostal church, and then she went to Assembly God Church, and she just did what she knew to do. She would do outreach all the time, just on her own, kinda, and she would go to prison ministry, you know, minister in prisons. And finally, a, a pastor came along and he said, "You know what? I, we just ought to put you on staff." So they put her on staff and gave her a hundred bucks, right? A month, right? A week, hundred bucks a week. Wow. <laughs> well, what I mean is it helped pay her gas and it helped, you know, get, it gave her income. It was, that was a little while ago. So that was a good sign. And another pastor came along and said, gave her 200 bucks. And eventually what happened was a church came open and they, this church backed her and she founded Recycling Grace Ministries, a church, and that's where we meet today. And then people started coming along that were homeless, and so there was a need there, and so they were, most of them were either beat up or addicted to drugs. So they started ministering there, and then they somebody gave them some property, and they had to build a house, and she thought they would get a grant. <laughs> you know what? No grant. She got turned down. God had other ideas. See, God will answer our prayers, but sometimes he has other ideas, doesn't he? So they had a little money. So they said, let's put the foundation in. Well, they built the house with no grant, and God provided the need every step of the way. And that housed eight women and then somebody gave them some more property, and they remodeled another house, and they could house seven more. And now we're in the middle of a project. No, we're not in the middle anymore. We're at the end. If we could ever get that cabinet guy going, and I say that because BJ and I own the cabinet shop. <laughs> the cabinet guy's holding everything up right now, but it's still God's timing. A different cabinet guy. So, uh, so Sandy said, so, she, so the cabinet guy told her a couple weeks. She said, so she's telling everybody two weeks. I said, no, you don't understand. This is construction. A couple weeks don't mean two weeks <laughs> necessarily. Anyway, so you pray for us. That's our need. We need that cabinet guy. He's, he's COVID and everything. You know, he's struggling just like every other business. He needs to get them cabinets in. This house will house 14 more ladies. So 28 ladies, and they stay for six weeks. And... Uh, is so the word of God, and um, anyway, 
so that's who Sandy is, and so she's the she's the pastor. She's the founder of Recycling Grace Ministries, and she's the pastor of Recycling Grace Church, and she's my wife. Actually, uh, we uh, housed ladies for six months, uh, six six weeks, yeah. And uh, God has been faithful uh, throughout this ministry over and over. And uh, most of all, I wear a lot of hats, but most of all, I'm his. And uh, I belong to him. And uh, as I've said before here, many times we look for God to uh, use all of our greatness. And he likes to get in the middle of our brokenness just to show what he's capable of. I know what I'm capable of. But whenever I find out what God's capable of, that's whenever we see things happen. Um, I want to just go before the Lord in prayer. I can't do it without him, and I wouldn't want to. So, And I don't have to. So, God, I just come before you today in the name of Jesus. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for this privilege. Thank you for your powerful spirit that's already in this house, Lord. And I just pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would encourage your people this morning that you would challenge your people, and that you would change your people, myself included, Lord, in Jesus' name. And God, we'll give you the praise for each thing that's done through this ministry forever and ever and ever. Amen. Praise God. So I'm going to talk about an Old Testament character uh, that is one of my favorite this morning. And uh, I'm just going to kind of start off... uh, BJ asked me if I had some scriptures to put overhead, and I hated to tell him that I want to preach three chapters this morning. And so I didn't have the nerve to get back with him and say, well, you know, (laughs) it's going to be a long one, but no, it won't be a long one, hopefully. I hope, you know, my goal is to always let the Holy Spirit flow through me and let him use and let him, if it's 10 minutes, be done in 10 minutes. Uh, And, you know, so anyway... Let's get into the Word here a little bit this morning, and let's just talk and kind of get where we're wanting to go. So to begin with, uh, we're talking about the nation Israel, of course, and um, we, um, during this time, uh, we had Ahab, which was the son of Omri, and I may not pronounce a lot of these names right, and if I don't, just, just overlook me, Okay. Uh, because they're just some difficult names in the Bible. Omri was the sixth king of Israel, and he was noted for being the worst king so far. However, Ahab, his son, managed to be worse, and not only did he worship Baal, but the Bible states that this was trivial compared to marrying Jezebel. And the Bible said Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel before him. So Israel was in a dark place. And all of a sudden, we'll be in First Kings chapter 17, and I'm going to try to just fast forward us through this. And most of you, I'm sure, are familiar with this passage of Scripture, but I believe that God has some things that he wants to bring out this morning. Elijah just shows up in First Kings chapter 17, and he confronts this ungodly king Ahab. And he tells him that it's not going to rain for three and a half years, or it, it, it would actually be three and a half years, or at his word. 
uh, which this happened to be a direct insult to Baal, the, the god that they were worshiping, worshiping at that time, because the Baal worshipers believed that, uh, that Baal controlled the weather, that he controlled the rain, and he was responsible for the abundant crops. And so then God sends, uh, uh, Elijah to the brook of, of Chereth, or Kareth. I'm not sure how to pronounce that either. But he takes him there and he tells him, he reassures him that, he, that, that he's going to take care of him by commanding the raven to feed him there in that spot. Now, let's talk about that Kareth for just a minute. That word means a cutting or a cutting away. So God has Elijah to go into this wicked King Ahab and tell him that it's not going to rain and basically challenge his gods and then send him to a place that he's going to do a work in his life. Oh, I don't know about you, but I have been to some of those places to where there's been a cutting away in my life. And you know what? There's, there's something good about God cutting away some of the junk out of our lives. And he tells him to stay there. And he hid, the Bible said, by this brook until this brook dried up. And he had ravens that would come and feed him of the morning. And then again of the evening. And he had water to drink of out of the brook. God supplied. You know, I love the verse that says, but my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory. I remember one time that God sent me to a lady before that, I've ever was ordained, ever licensed or anything, but he sent me to this unwed mother that was in Poplar Bluff. She was living over in the projects and God brought me in that project that day and I brought her in some uh, toilet paper, some soap, some uh, washing powder and a roll of quarters because she didn't have a, 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 a washing machine. And I told this young lady, I said, you know what? I said, God wants to supply your need here, but don't look at me. Don't look to me because I'm not your source. And God will never let me be your source. God wants to be your source. And he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond all that we can thank or ask according to the power that works in us. And the power that works in us is the same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave. So we're pretty much limitless, it's right? So Elijah sits there and God provides for him at the place that he's supposed to be. And when the brook dries up, God tells him to go to Zarephath. And he says, There's a, I've commanded a widow to feed you there. And I don't know about you, but I would have kind of expected somebody that had a little something baked. Wouldn't you? He goes up and there's this little lady out gathering up sticks. And he, 
he asked her, he said, you know, how about, uh, what are you doing? And she says, well, she says, I'm gathering up sticks, as you can see. I'm getting ready to uh, m- make a cake for, or, or Willie, to, uh, uh, to make a cake for me and my son, and then we're going to die. But in one of the versions, she said something that I picked up on. She said, I have nothing baked. I think it's the ESV version. I have nothing baked. But in fact, I'm getting ready to make a cake for me and my son, and we're going to eat it and die. And Elijah said, well, make me a cake first. And then your meal won't run dry. Your oil won't run dry. God's going to supply for you. And you know what? She did it. She made him the cake first. And then the Bible said, and, and you know what? There was a supply, not only for her, not only for her son, but for Elijah. And Elijah kind of just stayed up on her little rooftop for many days, the Bible said. In fact, until it rained again and there were, and, and the cycle was broken of the, the famine. And so then, uh, all of a sudden, one day, the lady's son dies. And she goes to Elijah and she says, wait a minute. What did you do? Did you come up here to call my sin up before me? That my son died? And Elijah takes the son and he goes up on the roof and he prays over this son, her son, and brings him back to life. See, when this son was was taken out, this was her future. Because she was hoping that this son could grow up and maybe take care of her in her elder years. But here, her only hope seemed to be gone. Elijah prayed for him. And after many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. I, you know what? I, I just kind of got hung up on that a little bit. I wonder how the word of the Lord came to Elijah. You know, I wonder if he had an encounter with Jesus Christ, you know, because the word became flesh. But the word of the Lord came to Elijah. And uh, he told him, he said, all right, it's time for you to go back and present yourself to Ahab. Remember, he had been in hiding. He had hid over by the brook. And so he kind of... Uh, the word of the Lord comes to him, and then all of a sudden the scripture kind of changes a little bit. And it says in there that uh, Ahab and Obadiah, and Obadiah was serving in King Ahab's, he was over his house. I didn't realize that either. I didn't put that together for some reason. There's so much that I miss in the I thought Obadiah was a prophet and he just kind of came along the scene too. But no, he was, he was in charge of Ahab's house. And then he begins to say, uh, Ahab says, well, you go this way and I'm going to go that way and let's go see if we can find some, some straw and some grass and stuff for our horses and mules. 
Now that tells you where Ahab's heart was at that time. There was a severe famine going on and he was worried about the uh, horses and the mules. So Ahab, uh, Ahab went one way and Obadiah went the other way and Obadiah ran right square dab into Elijah. And Elijah said, well, Obadiah, go tell Ahab that I'm, you know, that I'm here. And, 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 and Obadiah says, well, what have I done? What's my sin that I have done? That, that you want me? Sure, as I, we've searched everywhere. The king has sent everybody out everywhere looking for you. And then here I'm going to go back. I'm supposed to go tell him. And then the spirit of God will take you away to no telling where. And you want me to go tell him that? He'll kill me like he's done all these other prophets. And that, by the way, have you not heard? Have you not heard how that I took a, a hundred prophets and I saved them? I put 50 here and 50 there. And I, I actually uh, fed them with bread and water. And they survived. And Elijah says, no. You know what? I'll, I'll, I'll be here. So anyway, Ahab goes before the king again and he challenges, he calls all Israel in and he does the challenge, remember? And he says, how long are you going to halt between two opinions? In Southern Missouri language, we would call that, you know, how long are you going to sit on the fence? It's time for you to figure out who you're going to serve. Are you going to serve God? What's your priority? What are you living for? What do you get up for each morning? What do you do throughout the day? That tells you where your priorities are. If Baal is God, you serve him. I tell you what, let's just do a challenge. Let's just get, uh, uh, let's get a couple of uh, bulls up here and you do an altar. And since there's so many of you prophets, y'all, false prophets, you go first. And so they did. Y'all know the story of, or many of you do. And they got out there and, and they, they cried out from morning till noon and, and Elijah kind of made fun of them a little bit. You gotta appreciate Elijah's sense of humor somewhat, you know. <laughs> He just kind of let them have it. <laughs> and, and so finally, about the time of the evening sacrifice, Elijah set the altar in order. And he put the 12 stones around, which represented the house of Israel. And he was saying, it's time for this country to come back to God. And boy, I can tell you today, it's time for our country to come back to God. Our country needs to come back to God. And you know what? Elijah dug a trench around, poured four barrels of water, had him pour four barrels of water. And so that the trench was filled and he called on God. And man, the Spirit of God came down in the fire and it burned up the offering, even lapped up the water that was around it. And then Elijah slayed all the prophets. And then he tells Ahab, man, you know what? You get ready because there's, there's a rain coming. And he goes down and he 
and he takes him servant, his servant with him, and he bows down into an Egyptian birthing position. And I'm going to tell you something. If you want ministry to come forth, there's nothing that's going to come forth in your life unless you begin to seek God, unless you begin to pray, unless you birth it in prayer. And when you birth it in prayer, it will come up to pass. And remember, he kept sending his servant out seven times. And there was a, a, remember, just a little sign the size of a man's hand. And all of a sudden, uh, Elijah tells Ahab, King Ahab, you run on back into town. You get back into town because there's a rain coming. And whenever the rain uh, uh, broke loose, Elijah went ahead of the chariot, beat him into town. Now, this is where we're going to get to the message that I want to speak today, speak on today. Things didn't work out the way that Elijah had planned. I really believe that was a lot of his issue, that things didn't work out the way he planned. I think of my little grandson, Hayden, when he's not so little anymore. I look up to him. He's taller than Brent. He'd be 15, but he was little, and he, he was always in trouble. He's just one of the little, he's got great gifts, and, and, and you know, he's going to get going in the right direction one of these days, but he was in trouble or something. He'd got in trouble with his dad, and he looked at me and said, I didn't see that coming, you know. And, and you know what? So many times, we don't see things coming. Man, and they just broadside us, and it, they knock us, you know, and Elijah was kind of there. Because when they go back in, and I got a feeling that Elijah was thinking, you know what? I bet you now I'll be able to speak about God, you know, in the king's court. I bet you, you know, now they'll serve this God. But instead, he got the news that Jezebel was going to have him killed like she had done the prophets. And Elijah Man, he just cut out. Left his, he actually left, 1 Kings 19 and 3, left his servant behind and kind of went off on his own. And you know, in the women's center, we've got a rule, no isolation. You cannot isolate. In fact, when they get up in the morning, they have to open their blinds. They can't hang out in their room all day long. You know, uh, God said at first, before, when he, before he created Eve, it's not good for man to be alone. In uh, Proverbs 18 and 1, uh, the Bible says, whoever, who, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire, and he breaks out against all sound judgment. And as y'all were talking about uh, depression with the kids and depression in adults, it's a real deal. Uh, that's one of the things when we begin to isolate ourselves, we begin to pull back away from other people. A lot of times we're wounded in the context of relationships and we're healed in the context of relationships. You know, uh, Elijah, he takes off, you know, things didn't work out the way he planned. He ran for his life and get this, only to pray that God would take his life as he slipped into a kind of a deep depression. And this is how God handled it. He sent an angel to feed him. 
and tells him to get some rest. Pastor Brother Gary's uh, brothers from over at Cape First says this, when fatigue comes in, faith goes out. And when faith goes out, fear comes in. Never underestimate the power of a nap and nutrition. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is get some rest. And that's hard for me. My personality is not wired that way. But God dealt with him tenderly. And he even sent an angel to encourage him. The angel came two different times and touched him and provided him with a meal that he could go in for 40 days. And Elijah would then go to a mountain and enter a cave. And then if you want to turn to 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 11. And this is whenever Elijah kind of ends up in that place and the spirit of the Lord comes to him and he says, and he said, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord and behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind rent the mountain, great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in an earthquake. One of the things that I love about this was, was God knew that uh, Elijah needed an encounter with God. And whenever you're depressed, that's the greatest thing that you can have is an encounter with God. You know, we have women that come in the center all the time and they'll say, I'm depressed. And you know, I, I kind of get that because there was a time in my life that I was depressed. But you know what? One of the things, and you may think I'm harsh, you may think I'm cold whenever I say this to them, but I'll say, you should be depressed. If you've lost your home, you've lost your children, and you just got out, you know, and you're not depressed, I would be really more worried about you because you're actually feeling things. And you know what dysfunctional families do? They don't talk, they don't trust, and they don't feel. And when we can begin to break those rules and we can begin to talk, trust, and feel, then we can begin to get healing. And I'll tell them, I'll say, you, you know, they want to go see the doctor and the doctors want to give them prescription over and over and over. And I'll say, there's not a pill that you can take to make that go away. And if there is, you wouldn't want to take that pill to make you forget about your family, to make you forget about your kids, to make you forget about your pain. You don't want to take that pill. What you need is an encounter with God. And we'll see them. I could show you on my phone picture after picture of lady that comes in in their face. Oh, someone looks like death. I'm telling you, she was close to death. She's been clean seven, eight years now. And her life has changed. She's taken all the classes for the school of ministry. And God has turned her life around. But when God comes in and they have that encounter with God, it changes things. Then they find out what their purpose is. They, see, they live out of their pain. And then whenever God comes in, they begin to stop living out of their pain and they begin to live out of the heart that Jesus gives. And when you start living out of the heart that Jesus gives, the depression has to go in the name of Jesus. But after the fire and after the earth, or after the earthquake and the fire, see, Elijah had seen God speak through the fire before. But the Bible says, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And I don't know about you, but I've been broadsided 
in life a lot of times. And I found out that whenever I can push in and I can press in and I can run in, you know, and get close to Jesus, then he begins to speak to me. He begins to show me things in a way that I've never seen or heard before. And there's nothing Nothing like it. I could, I believe it was Pastor Steve Proctor and, and back in Poplar Bluff said one time, I wouldn't go uh, through some of the things I have uh, for a million dollars. But I wouldn't take a million dollars for some of the things that I've learned during that time too. God sends him back where he started with his plan. In verse 13, it says, and, was so, and it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mail and went out and stood in the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What are y'all, you doing here? What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down their altars, slain the prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left. And he said that whenever he was calling down, calling out Baal and the prophets, I'm the only one. And you know what? So many times we feel like we're the only one that's going through anything. That we're the only one that's encountered pain. And I can, I can reassure you right now, you're not. I like, uh, I believe it was C.S. Lewis said, Two men were talking one day, and one said to the other one, you too, and thus the first group was born. So many times we think other people wouldn't even have a clue of what we're dealing with, and we've, I've got news for you. They do. You're not the only one. Elijah wasn't the only one. Remember, Obadiah told him, just told him that, there, that he had... Uh, saved a hundred of their lives. And if we fast forward on a little bit, God shows him that there's 7,000 that's still there. 7,000 people or 7,000 that hasn't bowed to Baal. He wasn't there. And see, when we're in that isolation, when we're in that isolation, it's easy for us to think, man, it's, it's just, I'm the only one that feels this. I'm the only one that's here. I'm going to encourage you. God put this message together and he confirmed it when the lady came up for prayer. And he doesn't give a message like this for nothing. He's wanting to get in somebody's business in this house today. He's wanting to touch some hearts. He's wanting for you to have an encounter with him that your life will be changed. You may feel like that you're at the end, but let me tell you something. Elijah wasn't at the end. He was just now getting ready. Oh, he's just warming up. I'm going to get ahead if I'm not careful. Good. Let's see what happens with, with Elijah here. God sends him back where he started with his plan after he had that encounter. And the Lord said unto him, Go return thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou come, anoint Haziel to be the king over Syria. And Jehu, Jehu the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. 
and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Mola, that's a big one, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. God reassures Elijah that he's taking care of Ahab. Jehu will take Ahab's place, and Elisha will be his servant in ministry and reassures him that he's not alone. So he's brought Elisha along beside of him. And he, he calls Elisha, and, and then he will actually transfer the mantle to Elisha. I love that. I love the fact that Elisha was plowing. He was busy about something whenever God called him or Elijah called him. He was busy, and you know what? He made up his mind. He wasn't going back to plowing. In fact, he burned his bridge behind him. He cut up the oxen and had a big going away party and said, guess what? I am moving up. I am moving on up. I am going to follow God. I'm going to follow him with everything that I got. And he began, and he had a title. Anybody get hung up on titles a little bit this here? I'm not. I'm just Sandy. But I'm the daughter of the Most High God <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> so, but anyway, Elisha had a title. You know what that title was? He poured water over the hands of Elijah. How oh, I love that title because you know what? That said that he was a servant, that he would do anything that he needed to do for God. As long as he was doing it for God, if he was just pouring water over Elijah's hands, he was going to be happy with that. Oh, I don't know about you, but I'm happy to serve God in any capacity that I can. And I'll tell you what, when you begin to serve God in any capacity that you can, whether it's cleaning commodes or whatever you're doing, serving God, he'll open up other doors for you. Elijah comes along. And then God takes Elijah out. In a whirlwind, he didn't face death. That's got to be pretty cool, don't you think? And not only that, he was one that would come back. Oh, remember on the mountain over in Matthew? Oh, golly, let me get over here. Matthew 17, and after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and was, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as light, and behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias, or Elijah, talking with him. I don't know about you, but I think that's pretty cool. Elijah was at a place that he felt like it was over, that his life was done, that there was no hope for him and begged God for him to die, to be able to die. And God was just saying to him, Elijah, the best is yet to come. And you know what? Some believe that in Revelation 11 and 3, that this is referring to Elijah. No, I'm not going to get too caught up, but I want to read you the verse. It says, and I will give power to my two witnesses and they will be clothed in burlap and will prophesy during those 1,260 days. These two prophets are the two olive trees and two lampstands that stand before the Lord of all the earth. And I don't know, I can't say for sure, but it could be Enoch and Elijah. But you know what? Even if it's not, even if it isn't, I think it's still pretty cool for him to be able to come back on that mountain with Jesus, don't you? And you know what? I want to encourage you today. 
if you feel like that you're at the end, you just maybe you're just maybe not a brand, friend, fresh, brand new start. And I believe the best is yet to come. Let me conclude. Are you halting between two opinions? Will you make a decision to serve the living God today? Maybe you can relate to Elijah that things haven't worked out the way you planned. Rest assured, God has a plan bigger than you can imagine. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, it says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. I like something Mark Batterson wrote. He said, astronomers have discovered galaxies 12.3 billion light years away. That means it takes light traveling at 186,000 miles per second, more than 12 billion years to reach the outer edges of the heavens. And God, said, God says that's about the distance between my thoughts and your thoughts. We all underestimate God by 12.3 billion light years. Maybe you need an encounter with God this morning. I believe that he wants to speak to you in a way that you haven't heard him speak to you before. I believe that he wants you to know that you're not alone. He has a companion for you. And most of all, you haven't seen nothing yet compared to what God wants to do through you. You're limitless, remember? Remember?